We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, of full press coverage. It is hard to believe we are already seven weeks into this 2022 NFL season, which is one that gets more strange with each passing week. And nothing symbolizes this weird season more than the fact that there's only one game, and I mean one game, between teams with winning records in week eight, And it's between the New York football giants and the Seattle Seahawks, which is something absolutely nobody anticipated as September began. And we should be expecting even more odd twisted turns these next several months, shouldn't we, Hal? You know, David, I thought we couldn't top the week prior with underdogs and upsets. But man, I tell you, it just gets crazier and crazier, Uh, you know. We can't expect the normal. We've got to expect the unexpected. And that's what the NFL is telling us so far uh, in 2022. It most certainly is, Sal. And I cannot wait to see what surprises are in store this weekend and beyond. But before we talk about week eight, let's discuss what happened in week seven. Starting with the biggest lesson learned. I'll go first here. Luke Getze. You've probably been listening to our podcast, have you? Because you finally had a game plan that played to the strengths of Justin Fields. In weeks one through six combined, you only called 12 design runs. And on Monday night alone, you called 11 design runs for Justin Fields. Oh, my God. Letting Justin Fields use his legs first and foremost is the ultimate confidence building for him. After he ripped off several big runs, he said, oh, I can do that. And I can also play to another strength of mine, which is my accurate passing 10 or more yards down the field. Justin Fields, he played arguably the best game of his young career on Monday night. And it's all due to the game plan that Luke Getzey had in place for him. Whatever you did on Monday night, Luke Getzey, do not abandon it. Just keep it going. Amen. I don't know how many times we've called him out here and he finally listened. So, Luke, thanks for listening. You must have been because you finally got it. Amen. Uh, My lesson learned, hey, Las Vegas, the Raiders are back on track on offense after starting the season, 19 points, 23 points, 22 points. They've ripped off 32, 29, and then last week back from the bye, 38. What's the reason? Hey, I've got a fever. The only prescription is more, no, not cowbell, more Josh Jacobs. After a slow start to the season, just over 160 yards through three games, he's ripped off 144, 154, and last week, 143 yards, three touchdowns in the second half, grinding their way to victory over the tough Houston Texans in a game that was a lot closer than that final score was. But Josh Jacobs, you I'm making that offense, and I can't put it any better way than this statistic. Derek Carr on play action last week, seven for eight, 109 yards. That's beautiful. That's how that offense has to operate for Las Vegas, and that's how this team gets back on track. 
OU set it out with an offensive line that can be a little suspect in pass protection. Running the ball is the greatest strength, believe it or not, of this Raiders offense. And boy, is Josh Jacobs delivering. You are absolutely right. And who is your goat of the week for week seven, Hal? The man, the myth, the legend, Joe Burrow. I mean, forget the final stats. 34 for 42, 481, five touchdowns, 344 yards, four touchdowns at the half. He took their foot off the gas and coasted. We could have been talking 700-yard game last week for <laughs> Joe Burrow. This was, I mean, this was like watching my son playing Madden. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like watching an NFL game. That was an amazing performance. That could have been the greatest performance of all time. You know, if the game was a little bit closer, <laughs> he could have kept throwing the ball. But my God, he got everyone involved. You name them on the offense. He got them involved, two 100-yard receivers, one with 93, uh, featured the tight end, six catches there by Hurst. I mean, just a virtuoso performance. It shows what this Bengals team can still do. And, yeah, they, they had that little rough stretch there to start the season. You know, I talk about it all the time, that Super Bowl hangover. But, uh, you know. Times that your head clears a little, the hangover goes away. You wake up feeling pretty good the next day, uh, the day after. And here you go. Come on, Bengals. Oh, absolutely. Amazing performance by Joe Burrow and the Bengals on Sunday. 345 passing yards in the first half alone. Talk about that. And my goat of the week is going to somebody who I believe should be squarely in the conversation for league MVP so far this season. Patrick Mahomes, not only did he and his Chiefs put up 44 points on the league's best defense on the road in the 49ers, uh, Patrick Mahomes, because of uh, Sunday's performance, is now 12-5 and five since 2019 in games where the Chiefs have trailed by at least 10 points, according to NFL research. The fact that no uh, lead is saved against Patrick Mahomes is not a theory. It is a cold, hard fact. And also, according to True Media, Patrick Mahomes is on pace for one of the most efficient NFL seasons by a quarterback of all time. Because since 2012, Patrick Mahomes this season has the highest percentage of pass attempts resulting in first downs. And second, Matt Ryan in 2016, who won MVP that year. And third, Peyton Manning in 2013, and he won MVP that year. Patrick Mahomes, a lot of people said, oh, he's going to take a little bit of a dip because he lost Tyreek Hill. No, he's better than ever. That's all there is to it. And we just have to call him out again for that, for a go to the week honor. Patrick Mahomes, my go to the week for week seven. And for dunce of the week, I am going to give a rare dunce of the week award. It's a super rare dunce of the week award, and no offense, sale to Bill Belichick. What were you thinking with that quarterback position on Monday night, Matt Jones, it looks like he needed just one more week to uh, get to 100% with that ankle. And uh, you put him in for a couple series. And after he throws that interception, you yank him and put Bailey Zappi in. And he looks very, very good for a couple series. But after that, he falls back to earth. You just shot the confidence of both of your quarterbacks, Bill Belichick. I just do not know what you did and for what reason. And we'll probably never, never know the truth. But that was the weirdest coaching decision I have ever seen from Bill Belichick. That's all there is to it. I got to give it to you. You know, maybe he's a little rusty after having Tom Brady there for 19 years and uh, <laughs> still figuring that out, how to work with multiple QBs. Uh, my, my dunce of the week. Um, hey, 
I called him out earlier in the year to, for praise, and now I got to call you out for the dunce. Mike Caldwell and the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, after that great start to the season, forcing turnovers, dynamic, shutting out the Colts. It looked like they were driving this young team. Um, they have crashed back to earth, and it has been ugly, especially the last two weeks. Losing to Indianapolis, terrible performance last week against the Giants. They can't force a turnover to save their life right now. They can't tackle. They can't get a pass rush going. And worse than that, they're getting out-schemed. You looked at the Giants last week, just like we talked about. Uh, you talked about the Bears and Justin Fields getting them out of the pocket. Look at what the Giants did. Brian Dayball and company there. You know, brilliant offensive game plan, maximizing their talent around them. And the Jaguars were flat-footed. They were outcoached. They were outplayed. And that goes right on to you, Mike Caldwell. I gave you the love the first two weeks. Taking it back now, it's only fair. You have every right to take that love back, Hal. The Jaguars have been an incredible disappointment these past several weeks as they now are looking at two and five. And I'm glad you mentioned Tom Brady because headed into week seven, Tom Brady's Bucks and Aaron Rodgers Packers were three and three with winnable games to get back on track. Yet things only got worse for both teams on Sunday as the Packers lost 23 to 21 to the commanders and the Bucks got annihilated. I mean, annihilated 21 to three by PJ Walker and the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> And both teams could very well be three and five after week eight. So on a scale of one to 10, what should the panic level be for the pack and the bucks respectively? All right. Well, yeah, the Packers again, I'm a, I, I, I feel like a broken record. I think I've said this maybe the last three or four weeks in a row. I still believe in the Packers defense. There's just too much talent there. Um, they can, get this season somewhat back on track. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a six out of 10 for the panic level there for the Packers. The only thing I've got to say is it, they keep losing here and they don't have the offensive weapons and you're not making it fun for Aaron Rodgers. What reason are you giving him not to walk away at the end of the year after his year 39, uh, age 39 season here? So uh, Packers, that's going to take it from a 5 to 10 to the 6 of the 10 because he does not seem like a happy man. And what about the Bucks? What is your scale of panic for the Bucks on a scale of 1 to 10? You know, I'm I'm up to a 9 out of 10. This was the this was the week to get better. This was it. It passed. They missed it. All right? The bus went by and they were standing at the station. It is ugly looking for Tampa the rest of this way. You've got your skill position players back on offense. It hasn't made any difference. Tom Brady's back in the building on Wednesdays. Uh, doesn't have his wife to go home to, apparently. It's still not making a difference. Now you've got a tough stretch of your schedule coming up before the bye week. I don't see any easy wins coming anytime soon for Tampa Bay. The defense is aging out in front of our eyes. Leonard Fournette. Clearly, it's not the playoffs because he's turned back into a pumpkin here in 2022. <laughs> uh, blame the interior offensive line. I don't care. This team is looking ripe 
for a rip down and a rebuild this off season. So Tampa is very high panic level. I'm giving it nine out of 10. Oh, very good point about that Bucks running game because as of right now, the Bucks are on pace for the worst, and I mean the worst, rushing offense since 1970. In 2000, the Chargers only averaged 66.4 rushing yards per game. In 2000, the Browns only averaged 67.8 rushing yards per game. In 1992, the Colts only averaged 68.9 rushing yards per game, and the Bucks. Rushing yards per game average so far this season, 64.4, historically bad. And you're right about that defense. It is aging fast. They have had one of the worst statistical defenses in the NFL, especially on third and longs. Oh, my God. You allow Mitchell Trubisky and P.J. Walker, of all people, to convert countless third and ten or mores against you. That is just an ominous, ominous, ominous side that it is absolutely panic time in Tampa. I completely, completely agree. But arguably the biggest NFL news so far this week came from Indy, where Matt Ryan got benched, and not because of the shoulder injury he has. Head coach Frank Reich did not mince words as he said the plan is to have Sam Ellinger start for the remainder of the season. My question is, do you think the Colts are making the right choice by deciding to use the rest of this year to see what they have in Sam Ellinger? Well, I think seeing what they have in Sam Ellinger has nothing to do with the decision. I think there are 17.9 million reasons why Matt Ryan is going to the bench and staying there. Because if he gets injured playing the rest of the year, those injury guarantees kick in and the Colts go from a $12 million in, you know, bye-bye, pay them $12 million to go away, to pay them $29.9 million to go away, that's not going to happen. You pay a quarterback $30 million guaranteed, you have to play them. They're not making that commitment for this year and next. They've seen enough of what Matt Ryan is, and that is the whole reason why it's Sam Ellinger. It's not going to be Ellinger. He's not going to improve the team. I don't think he's the best quarterback on that team. Matt Ryan still is, even with that pop gun arm. But at this point, if I'm the ownership here, if I'm Jim Ursay, I'm looking at the Colts and I'm saying, okay, how many times am I going to trust Frank Reich to develop this quarterback? How many other quarterbacks can we bring in? Uh, Chris Ballard, come on. You chased off Andrew Luck, a generational talent at quarterback. You had no backup plan. Would you have um, Brissett? Cleveland is learning what that lesson is there. You went and got a one-year rental. Um, <laughs> that didn't work out, obviously. Um, Philip Rivers, you knew he didn't want to leave California. You knew it was a one-year thing. Yeah. One, done. Carson Wentz, the less said, the better. Like, why are you letting these men pick these quarterbacks? Uh, Chris Ballard, you're, you're living off that 2018 draft right now, okay? You've squandered it. You had a generational draft, and now these guys are aging into second contracts. You blew it. It's blown. Clean house. Get them out of there. Get them all out. Ryan, gone. Reich, gone. Ballard, gone. Ursay, clean them up. Oh, that could definitely be what's going on in Indy after all, Hal. 
Uh, Frank Reich and Chris Fallard might uh, be begging Jim or say, oh, please keep us. We're going to bob for Bryce. We're going to suck for Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want them making the decision on the quarterback. I've seen enough. I hope Jim Irsay has as well. Yeah. I, I hope he has as well, because uh, Frank Reich and uh, Chris Ballard have had more than enough time to capitalize on a promising young core, and they have blown it. I completely, completely agree. And now it's time to play our favorite game here on Sports Crunch, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement, and you let me know whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with the Chargers, barring a deep playoff run. The Chargers should fire Brandon Staley after this season and pay the Saints a team's ransom for the rights to Sean Payton. Do I hear the biggest simpatico alert in the history of mankind? Amen, David. Beep, 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 beep. Get a real head coach. Come on, Chargers. What's the difference between Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, Brandon Staley, Nothing, nothing. They all let you down in the end. Get an established NFL premier head coach. They've been wasting this team so much talent on both sides of the football. I'm sick of it. Sick of it. It's time for the Chargers to stop doing Charger things. And until they fix that coaching position, it's gonna keep happening it has keep kept happening it's the most underachieving team yet again i mean what we could give them the we could retire the award and call it the charger you know i mean it's we're going on seven eight years straight of underachieving here uh san diego los angeles doesn't matter where you are uh, go play in london you're still <laughs> underachieving it's terrible so yes huge 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 truth on this one. Not only are they energy now, they have one of the three best quarterbacks in football. Are you kidding yes. me? It is absolutely criminal to have Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley Sands. How can you expect to get by Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid with a coach like Brandon Staley? You just can't. I may be a Broncos fan, but I am personally sick and tired of the Chiefs as much as I respect Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes of just continually being at the top of this division. Somebody needs to push them off the pedestal. The Chargers, this was the, one of the best possible years to do it, and you are falling far short of expectations. And I blame the coaching first because Herbert's still bawling his butt out for you. And Brandon Saley just continues to get outcoached almost every single week. It is unacceptable. Cut your loss with Brandon Staley and give the Saints a king's ransom to bring Sean Payton over and create the best head coach quarterback partnership in your franchise's history. That's all there is to it. Amen. All right. And speaking of coaches, let's talk about my Chicago Bears who have a keeper, and I mean a keeper, in head coach Matt Eberflus. Truth or exaggeration? Uh, I don't want to burst your bubble here, David. I, I, I have to go to an exaggeration, and, I, and I'm going to give you an example. I watched that game on Monday night, uh, the whole game for some reason. I don't know why. But, oh, it took me back in time. It took me all the way back to September 23rd, 2018, when this bright young head coach and his team 
went into New England on a primetime Sunday night game, blew them out of the water, dominated them on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, an easy 26-10 to 10 win. And everybody said, yes, this is the guy. This team has found their head coach. Yes, the Lions made the right move with Matt Patricia. Uh, no. <laughs> so no, this has to play out a little bit more uh, before I'm going down that road because I still remember 2018 all too well. And uh, I, I, I should be pulling up the Twitter mentions from Lion Nation there after that game that I was getting. So um, I'm going to go with an exaggeration here. Need to see a little bit more from Eberflus. While that is fair, what makes me optimistic about Eberflus is that he is getting the absolute utmost out of the league's youngest and arguably most inexperienced roster to get three wins out of them, especially a win on the road on the road against Bill Belichick. I think that bodes quite well for the future. It does. It does. And you know, um, like I said, it's as good as they looked last week. Then I think about that offense the week before against the commanders and, you know, as tough as they were against Minnesota the week before, um, as poor as they played against the giants. So, you know, it's a, it's an up and down point right now. I don't know where they land quite yet. Um, there's some good signs. There's some inconsistency. There's some hope. I mean, Hey, you're not the Lions, right? So <laughs> you got more than one win. So I'm going to go with a little exaggeration. But yes, there is definitely a sprinkle of hope in Chicago. Oh, definitely, Hal. And as long as the Bears just uh, use this win as a building block for the remainder of the season, uh, regardless of how many other games they win, and uh, they continue to use Justin Fields the way they did uh, on Monday, uh, I am going to be even more optimistic than I am right now. And let's talk about those New York football giants, those six and one New York football giants who are six and one due in most part to Brian Dayball. But we cannot forget another guy on this coaching staff. Brian Dayball doesn't call the plays on offense. Offensive coordinator Mike Kafka does. Mike Kafka was previously the quarterback's coach for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chiefs Wanted to do all they can to retain him, but unfortunately, uh, they could not match what the Giants gave uh, to Mike Kafka money-wise. And uh, look at what Mike Kafka is doing with this Giants offense. In weeks four through seven, the Giants ranked third in NFL passing DVOA, and only the Bills and Chiefs rank higher. That says a lot. So truth or exaggeration? Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka will be a hot head coaching candidate this cycle. I'm going to go with the truth. We know NFL owners love to fall in love with what? Young, innovative offensive coordinators. And Kafka coming off that Andy Reid tree, uh, played with what, seven, eight different organizations in his NFL career, bounced around, um, you know, was on everybody's practice squad. Had a lot of experience that way of learning playbooks and digesting. Um, so, yeah, definitely going to be a hot commodity. Uh, yeah, let's face it, Kafka and Don Martindale, both offense and defense for the Giants. I think they're already being added to shortlist. So this is a definite truth. 
And you mentioned Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals earlier when you gave him your go to the week award and for good reason. According to Pro Football Focus, Joe Burrow on throws 10 or more yards beyond the line of scrimmage over these past two weeks. He has 17 completions, which leads the league. 410 yards, which leads the league. Five touchdown passes, which leads the league. And a 150.4 passer rating. So truth or exaggeration, the Bengals are the biggest threat to the Bills and Chiefs in the AFC. They definitely are. This is a truth. Uh, just like last year, I mean, this team can come in and drop, you know, <laughs> an explosive offense on you. And they had some struggles early in the year. They definitely, uh, you could tell uh, Joe Burrow wasn't in rhythm. The offense, the running game wasn't there. Took them a while to get up to speed, but they're starting to get there. They've got the Browns, the Panthers, a bye week, the Steelers, and then they get to that meat of the schedule that's going to decide the rest of the season with the Tennessees and the Kansas Cities and uh, Buffalo still to come. Another game with Baltimore. So there's a lot of fun with this team. They can score the points. They can protect Burrow like they did last week. If they can keep playing well on defense, that was a big step forward by the defense last week as well. That's what's going to key the Bengals here. And yeah, they showed last year, they get hot. Look out. It's going to be interesting to see if the Bengals can catch lightning in a bottle two years in a row. And they definitely have the potential to do just that. And moving on to the Denver Broncos, who many people around the league believe will be sellers by the trading deadline, which is just five days from today at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And one of the hottest subjects for a trade is Broncos pass rusher Bradley Chubb. So truth or exaggeration, the Broncos should trade Bradley Chubb for at least a second and third round pick. Yes, yes, they, they should. They have to rebuild is Chubb worth a second contract? Yeah, probably. Are they going to regret it if they sign him? Maybe, maybe not. But this year, you've thrown away so much to get uh, your quarterback, which is not working out the way that you planned it with Russell Wilson. So you've got to recoup somehow. And Chubb, free agent at the end of the year, now is the time to make that move. So definitely, I would say this is a tr uh, this is a truth. It's time to be a seller at the deadline and start getting some draft picks back to start building this team back up for the next iteration. One of the main reasons why I agree with you is because the emergence of both Randy Gregory and Baron Browning this season makes Bradley Chubb expendable. You could get a, another rotational pass rusher to back them up in the draft. Those two could be your starting pass rushers for the next four to five years. Yeah, a, a great point there. I mean, they already gave the big money away so <laughs> for Gregory. So, you know, paying two top-of-the-line contracts like that at edge rusher, that's hard to do that and succeed and have enough money to spread away. So, yeah, they pretty much made their choice last offseason with Gregory. I got to go with you. I agree, David. That's a great point. So definitely even stronger truth now. And the team that beat the Broncos last week, the New York Jets, were able to get the win, but it was a very costly win cool. as they lost two key 
players for the season. Obviously, we know about Breesaw, who was on pace to be offensive rookie of the year, out for the year with the torn ACL and a meniscus issue. Yet they traded for James Robinson hours after the MRI came out, but it was also learned hours after the MRI came out that they lost stud offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker for the season due to a triceps injury. So truth or exaggeration, the season-ending injury to Elijah Vera Tucker will be even more costly than that of Brees Hall for the Jets. You know, you hate to, on one hand, you hate to say, hey, your your team's going down the road because of a, because of a, because of a offensive lineman. But I mean, hey, I loved AVT coming out of college. He has just been better than advertised these last two years. He's so important to that Jets offense. And as much as Brees Hall was that offense, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what you have at running back if there's no space for them to run. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the truth on this one. Uh, As much as I think most people are going to say that's an exaggeration, No, no, no. We know the truth. It all starts inside on that line if you're going to run the ball and establish that offense. And, you know, nothing against James Robinson. Yes, it's a step down with Brees Hall, but it's a bigger step down without AVT there either. I agree as well. And last but not least for truth or exaggeration for this week, the Seattle Seahawks are a serious threat to win the NFC West. Truth or exaggeration? Yes, it, it's a truth. I, I I can't believe it, but yes, it's a truth. I, I have to give it to them. I can't keep doubting this team. They are proving everybody wrong. They went out and they did one of those classic Seattle Seahawks drafts that they were so overdue for, so desperately needed, especially after last season where they basically punted on the entire draft. Um but, I mean, what a haul so far this year. Again, the, you know, if you get two, three, four starters, it's a fantastic draft. I mean, two young cornerbacks in the middle rounds, two offensive linemen here that are performing well. You've got an edge rusher, Kenneth Walker, looking like a superstar there as well. This has been a grand slam classic draft for the Seahawks. and you know, five contributors out of your draft, all contributing as rookies. <laughs> hey, you know, I got to hand it to them back on track. Yes. They're young. They're hungry. And this is 2022 in the NFL. We're seeing it. Anything can happen. Preconceived notions out the window because it's a whole new ball game. It most certainly is. And speaking of those Seattle Seahawks, they host the New York Giants in week eight's lone matchup of teams with records above 500, as we mentioned in the intro. And uh, let's start with this Giants offense again. We all know that Saquon Barkley is the straw that stirs the drink, but we cannot ignore the play of Daniel Jones either, as I just uh, mentioned with that uh, stat from Pro Football Outsiders. And so far this season, though, he has run for 343 yards, which is more than Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Najee Harris, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, A.J. Dillon, David Montgomery, and others. But outside of Steely Dan using his legs, what growth have you seen in his game this year? I'll tell you, David, it's 
one word in, well, two words, but you know, we can use either or is interchangeable here. Confidence and trust. And that's where we're seeing his game growing this season. He has the confidence that his coach is putting him in the perfect position to make the correct play. And he is feeding off of that. He's not feeling like he has to be pushing the ball downfield, taking ridiculous chances like he has been the last few years, because there's no other way that this team is going to win without reckless play. And so he's reined that in. He's got the confidence and the trust of his coach. It's going both ways. They're trusting him. He's trusting them. They're trusting him. He's trusting them. Yeah, it sounds weird, but I just said it three times. So yes, we'll <laughs> go with that. And that's what's really driving that offense right now in his resurgence. He's taking what the defense gives him. The offense is scheming up the right play for him maximizing his strengths and he's feeding off of that. And, and sometimes that's all that the player needs. The confidence or the lack of confidence can make or break the greatest player. Very well said, Hale. And let's talk about the Seahawks offense for a moment. And they are unlike the uh, DK Metcalf available for this game because of that patellar tendon injury. They haven't ruled DK Metcalf out for the game just yet, but I personally do not see any way he plays this weekend. Do you? No, no. I, and, you know, if he does play, he's going to be at half strength. And, you know, if he doesn't have that explosiveness, what's the point of putting him on the field other than as a decoy? He's not going to have any major effect on the game at uh, half strength like that. Absolutely. And uh, in his absence, do you anticipate the Seahawks religiously targeting Noah Fant and their tight ends? Yeah, I mean, they've got a great, uh, you know, young tight end there uh Noah Fant he was first round pick for a reason you know they've got the talent there Fant Disley they can become a matchup nightmare for teams if need be um I know Tyler Lockett's uh expected to play but still slowed by that hamstring as well that he's had these last uh couple of weeks as well so yeah i don't think, you know, you're going to count on a, a big Marquise Goodwin game again. You know, that's like a lightning flash. So you've got to run the ball. You've got to use those tight ends and you've got to play some good old fashioned smash, smash mouth uh, football here uh, for the Seahawks. And I think that's going to be the game plan coming in. Oh, absolutely. Uh, feed Kenneth Walker the third that rocket set up those tight ends. For uh, play action passes over the middle, which Geno Smith is very, very, very good at. And let's talk about some of the matchups that are going to decide this very, very big game. And let's start in the trenches with a battle between rookies. Kayvon Thibodeau and that Giants pass rush going up against two stud rookie tackles and Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Wherever you line up Kayvon Thibodeau, he's going to have his hands full with one of those two tackles. Yeah, I mean, they've. I mean, Charles Cross, we all had him tagged as a first rounder. There was no doubt about it. But Abraham Lucas was a bit of a wild card and, you know, has stepped in and performed way above expectation so far. He looks like a steal in the third round there. So, yeah, they've both been so, so good for Seattle. And, and that, you know, driving that offense, that offensive line, being able to, you know, make holes in the 
that running game, be able to create that space, create time for Geno Smith on those play actions and when he takes a shot downfield. So they've had a lot of success with that for sure. And they're going to have to hold up once again, because like you said, uh, Thibodeau coming around that edge is a tough, tough matchup for anyone. And that Giants strung up front, Thibodeau, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence in the middle of the defense. So much fun to watch those guys. So going to be down in the trenches. That's going to be where the fun starts. And if Seattle can hold up there, even with injuries, it's going to put them in a position where they should uh, have a chance to pull this out against, well, let's call them the hottest team in the NFL. Why not? They just keep winning. Oh, absolutely. But I think the matchup that could very well decide this game is the mind of Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, against the underrated mind of Geno Smith. You can talk about Geno Smith's uh, arm strength and athleticism all you want, but where he has really come through this year in his growth is his mental processing before the snap. Like last week, for example, uh, Marquise Goodwin, as uh, shown on uh, NFL Films, said that uh, Gino Smith uh, told him to run a go instead of a comeback route, which was the original play call, and that ended up in a touchdown. And a couple weeks ago in New Orleans, uh, Gino Smith uh, checked to a weak side zone run, and Kenneth Walker the third ran it in for a touchdown. Gino Smith's audibling at the line is a dangerous weapon. And Wheat Bartdale is going to force him to audible many times with those exotic blitz packages. But he better be careful because Gino Smith might have a couple of tricks up his sleeve, if not more. Great, great point, David. Yes, Gino Smith is playing like a savvy veteran, which although he hadn't had a ton of snaps before this year, he actually is a veteran quarterback with a lot of experience and a lot of different systems. And he's rewarding the faith that Seattle has shown him as well. Um, you know, when I look at the matchups as well, though, um, I'm also looking in the trenches, but want to flip that around because for the Giants, uh, big, big weakness they have going into this game is the injury to, to their star rookie offensive tackle, who yeah. was also shown why he was picked where he was. Evan Neal, who's been fantastic for them, uh, got to miss a few weeks. Uh, fortunately, not a long, long-term injury or knocking him out for the year, but definitely going to miss some time. And that Seattle defense, which just keeps improving week after week, uh, they're getting better and better and so if they can get their outside pass rush and get after daniel jones we've certainly seen that in the past so uh seattle see how they go getting after the quarterback here this week oh especially with that crowd noise that could be a major mismatch in seattle's favor and let's talk about uchenna nowosu a yeah. bargain he looks like he has had a very good season thus far for the seahawks yeah, you said it. A free agent bargain, you know, not a lot of uh, money, you know, but the Chargers had him, let him walk, didn't make a big push to keep him. And he's flashed signs of, you know, looking ready to make that move to be, uh, you know, and sometimes it's just that change of sceneries for guys. You'll see them get somewhere, get comfortable, and that confidence again as that grows. Uh, they can make a really big impact there. So, yeah, letting him loose, see what he can do to disrupt this game and uh, 
give Seattle a chance to, dare I say, build on that lead in the NFC West. <laughs> Definitely. And who do you have winning this Sunday in the Pacific Northwest? Do the Giants go to 7-1 or do the Seahawks add to their lead in the NFC West? Yeah, I'm going to have to look back because I feel like I've been picking against the Giants every single week since week one. And I'm like, you know, when am I ever going to learn and, and you know, let them prove me right by picking them to win. But ah, I, I, I'm on Team Gino right now. You know, I'm, I'm loving the, uh, you know, Pete Carroll and his kids. They're running around those young draft picks. I'm going to go with the Seahawks. Uh, close game, no doubt about it. But between the crowd noise, those tight ends, I, I just got one too many check marks for Seattle. So Seattle 26, Giants 23. Sound the simpatico alert, beep, Hal. Beep, 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 beep. I do not intend to disrespect the Giants. Brian Dable has performed one of the most beautiful coaching jobs I have seen in recent years, if not ever this season. But He's finally meeting his match in a coach in Pete Carroll. And the Giants, uh, as impressive as they've been, they're due for a little bit of a regression to the mean in Seattle. If this game was in New Jersey, I would pick the Giants to win. But home field is everything with these kinds of games, especially with a crowd like Seattle. I like the Seahawks as well. And on Sunday night, the three and four desperate Green Bay Packers head into Buffalo to take on the best team in the NFL in Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. And yesterday, in his weekly appearance on the Pat McAfee show, uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, had some interesting words, to uh, say the least. Uh, he uh, appeared to throw his teammates under the bus when he said, and I quote, guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing, gotta start cutting some reps, unquote. And when asked uh, further by Pat McAfee about his own performance, he bragged about a quarterback coach, Tom Clements, giving Rodgers his highest seal game grade uh, so far this season. So when I first saw those comments, I was like, oh, my God, these are comments that could easily tear apart a locker room. So my question to you is, Hal, were Aaron Rodgers' comments on the Pat McAfee show yesterday poorly timed or exactly what the Packers needed? No, I, I, I think that's poorly timed. This is a team that needs to be pulling together, not pushing apart. I don't think throwing your teammates under the bus and exonerating yourself for your play uh, when the team is struggling is ever a good move. Um, you know, like I said, when we were talking about that worry there, you know, kind of sounds like a guy who isn't planning to come back in 2023 and just kind of letting it all hang out and not holding anything back. So uh, Aaron Rodgers, not the correct thing to do. I think you're misreading the room there and that could lead to trouble, not just this week, but uh, down the line as well. And, you know, yes, his receivers let him down, but watching that game, you know, he looked tentative, conservative, didn't trust his receivers, weren't, wasn't throwing downfield. But he made some bad passes as well. Passes sailing over their head. Balls that bounced uh, to the receivers, landing at their feet. He was not blame-free. He should not be taking a victory lap um, after that game last week and throwing his teammates under the bus. So uh, Aaron Rodgers, horrible timing. And uh, you've got some explaining to do in that locker room. 
Uh, he most uh, certainly does. Uh, Matt LaFleur might have fallen on the sword for him in the press conference today, but uh, behind closed doors, I would assume the Packers are going to try to iron out whatever uh, grievances there might be from those comments. And in better news for the Packers today, uh, Rashawn Gary, who suffered a concussion against the Commanders on Sunday, was present for team stretch, which is a sign that he is going to be cleared in time for Sunday night's game. So my question here is, how much more improved are the Packers' chances to pull off the upset should Rashawn Gary be cleared in time from this concussion? Because he is uh, one of the most important parts of that defense. Uh, easily, easily. And, you know, I mean, if you're just accounting for Preston Smith and don't have Rashawn Gary, uh, that makes the offense's job a whole heck of a lot easier. Green Bay needs uh, Gary out there to have any prayer of pulling off an upset against a well-rested Buffalo Bills team um, that's started strong and looking to come out of this by and finish strong uh, down these last three months of the regular season. Oh, definitely. And now let's talk about the gay deciding matchups here. Uh, Rashad Gary is present, that's important, but arguably the best player up front for the Packers is our man, Kenny Clark, and uh, yeah. he has a pretty decent matchup this week against a Bills interior offensive line that isn't necessarily otherworldly, and uh, he has to be in Josh Allen's face early and often uh, in order for the uh, Packers to come away with a much-needed win. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to see a, a pass rush that's in concert to slow down uh, Josh Allen, because again, um, he doesn't have many weaknesses, but there's not a lot of quarterbacks that make pretty passes consistently with people in their face. So that pressure up the middle, that pressure around the edge and disciplined pass rush around the edge. Don't let him outside and extend that play and give his receivers five, six seconds to get open downfield. That's a recipe for disaster going against Josh Allen. So that it. Anywhere that they could get that matchup, um, you know, whether it's on the edge against Spencer Brown, whether it's on the interior um, targeting someone like Brian Bates, but anywhere that they can get pressure, that's what Green Bay is going to have to do to have a prayer slowing down this Buffalo offense, which has been clicking this entire season. Well, they most certainly have had uh, a big ingredient for the Packers to stop that passing attack is Jair Alexander, whether going up against Stephon Diggs or Gabriel Davis, who is yeah. becoming a star as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you can't sleep on these um, Bills wide receivers at all. And, and like you said, you know, Gabriel Davis um, looking excellent this year, coming back from, you know, even when he was out, that offense was still clicking with Kumaro in there. And they haven't even started to get Isaiah McKenzie going on this offense. I thought the mighty might would be a big part of this offense this year. He's had a very slow start for them as well uh, in that slot with that short area of quickness that he has. But, but yeah, they, I mean, Diggs, we all know it starts with Diggs. You can't sleep on Davis. Uh, eventually they're going to get Isaiah McKenzie going here. You're going to see him with one of these big games this year as well uh, with a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, so 
lot of pressure on that Green Bay secondary, not just Jair Alexander, but uh, young cornerback Eric Stokes as well has to continue to elevate his play week after week. And veteran Razul Douglas, who's looked much more comfortable uh, as the nickelback this year as well. His play has been a lot better in the nickel. He's going to have, you know, again, can't sleep, like I said, on Isaiah McKenzie. He's ready for a breakout game i'm telling you i've been saying it for six seven weeks here now but i'm counting on it eventually he's far too talented not to get involved in that offense so green bay yeah you got to win on that pass rush and you've got to have those that strong secondary again like i said so much talent on that green bay team get that defense playing together in concert the pass rush in tune with the coverage and you have the makings of an upset right there do you think the Packers pull off the upset Sunday night in Buffalo? Yeah, I'm not that brave. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll keep the score down. Um, I don't think Buffalo will uh, blow them out by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the Buffalo defense um, will uh, continue to keep that Green Bay offense flustered and uh, not kicking into gear here. Um, like they've been flustered and out of gear all season. So um, I think it'll be an entertaining game. Green Bay can keep it close for the first half, definitely, but Buffalo just too much. Josh Allen will pull away with a 28 to 20 victory. I just do not like underestimating Aaron Rodgers when he is pissed off and desperate. (laughs) I am going with the Packers as my upset special this week. 27-24. 27-24. Want to know how they do it? Stay tuned for bold predictions. But first, let's pick the rest of these week eight games starting tonight in Tampa, where the Baltimore Ravens at four and three take on the reeling Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Ravens, you just still cannot trust them in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but the Bucs are even less trustworthy with that uh, atrocious aging defense and that Offense that cannot muster a running game to save its life. I like the Ravens 23 to 20. It sound that simpatico, <laughs> David. I've got that score almost identical. I had it uh, 24 to 20 uh, for Baltimore over Tampa Bay as well. I, you know, it, you hate to say it, but at this point, I'm trusting Lamar Jackson more. And, uh, I think Baltimore has just got too much for Tampa right now and a defense that's aging out going up against Lamar. Oh, come on. You know, (laughs) I gotta go Lamar here. Definitely. And on Sunday morning on ESPN plus from London, the Jaguars in desperate need of a win face the reeling Clown show, Nathaniel Hackett-led Denver Broncos. Mike Caldwell of the Jaguars defense, no matter who is playing quarterback for the Broncos, this is a get-right game for you. Use it. I believe in you. You can get back on track against the Broncos this Sunday by dominating and uh, Trevor Lawrence just not making any stupid mistakes on offense. Give me the Jaguars 20-10 to 10 in a game that I will pretty much fall asleep and not watch. <laughs> Breakfast with the Jaguars at home in London. Come on. This is, uh, you know, this is their stadium. They're, they're, they're back comfortable. They're back home. Uh, you know, uh, Denver's going to play tough. I think no doubt about it. Playing in London can be 
who knows what's going to happen. But I still think the Jaguars have just enough to pull it off. I'll make it, uh, you know, late touchdown by Denver to make it interesting. But Jacksonville, 22, Denver, 20. The Raiders and that Josh Jacobs-centric offense travel to New Orleans to take on the Saints, who have been a major disappointment, especially on defense. And I think that disappointment continues this weekend. Uh, the Raiders and Josh Jacobs should find success uh, running the ball uh, against the Saints. And uh, I also think uh, Devontae Adams uh, should uh, win more of this fair share of matchups against Marshawn Lattimore, assuming he comes back for this game. But uh, anyways, I, I trust the Raiders far more than the Saints. And uh, just give me the Raiders. Yeah, I, the, the Saints are not just a disappointment, but, you know, um, I expected better out of Dennis Allen. And this defense has been horrible, um, especially these last four weeks. Um, you know, Minnesota, Seattle, Bengals. Okay, you get lit up by those three teams. That's three good teams. Arizona. 42 Arizona come on that's <laughs> disgraceful disgraceful New Orleans I've got no faith in New Orleans I think Las Vegas uh, this will get ugly really quick Vegas is clicking New Orleans is not and that's the ball game right there I've got it 38 to 13 for the Raiders whoa and let's not forget the Saints' first-round pick in 2023. Who does it belong to? The Eagles. Oh, oh, oh. So just imagine the possibility is very real for the Eagles to be NFC champions or, dare I say, Super Bowl champions and still end up with a top-five pick. Oh, oh, my goodness, man. Just to add insults, injury, there are no offense to the Saints, but the truth hurts, and we just have to tell the truth here on this podcast. And staying in the NFC South, the lowly NFC South, where eight wins could determine the division this year. The Falcons host the Panthers at home. And this is going to be a very close game. Flip of the coin. Uh, it's just one of those games where you just have to uh, give it to whoever's playing at home. I like the Falcons, but uh, uh, give me the Panthers to cover the spread. 24-23 Falcons. Yeah, I, you know, Atlanta, after looking so good against San Francisco on defense the week before, um, I, they were just shell-shocked against the Bengals. And, you know, that's going to happen to a young team. You know, let's face it. Can they move on? Yeah, it's a favorable matchup with Carolina, no doubt about it. Carolina's, let's face it, a bottom five team no doubt, uh, despite what happened last week. And I've got the faith in Arthur Smith to get this team turned around and back on their winning ways and all alone in first place next week at four and four, the Atlanta Falcons. So they pull out the win rather easily. I'm going to say, uh, let's make it 28 to 12 over Carolina. The Chicago Bears, fresh off their incredible Monday night performance in Foxborough, travel to Dallas to take on Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, who will not have Ezekiel Elliott for this game. But there I say, uh, Tony Pollard's been the better running back out of those two yes. for several years now, and I think that could actually be an upgrade for that offense. But nonetheless, I do think the Bears keep this game close. I really do. Matt Eberflus has them playing very hard, playing that physical style of ball uh, in his image. 
but the Cowboys are a far more talented team than the Patriots, and they are able to escape with a 28-20 win. Yeah, I mean, and Chicago's been so up and down. Uh, so let's see. So they were up last week, so they got to be down this week. So I, I think Dallas takes it pretty easily. Um, let's put this one at 32-14, Dallas over the Bears. The Vikings, uh, who have a chance these next two weeks to put the final nail in the coffin for their uh, NFC North crown, dare I say. It sure looks that way. <laughs> it sure uh, does. They host the Arizona Cardinals, but the Minnesota Vikings, they're not as good as their record is. They have come so close to blowing games against the Lions and the Bears and this could be a trap for them. Do I still think they win this Sunday? Yes, but I think it's going to be far closer than most people think. It's going to be close and back and forth throughout most of the game until uh, Kirk Cousins uh, ends up uh, hitting Justin Jefferson for a game-winning touchdown on one of the final few drives. I like the Vikings, let's say, 31-24. to 24. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened with Arizona with all those points last week, but uh, <laughs> two of them came out pick sixes. Keep that yes, on. exactly. So, you know, is the defense going to add fourteen points to the total here this week? I wouldn't count on it. Um, you know, even with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Oh, excuse me. Um, but I think Minnesota pretty easy win here this week. Arizona. Yeah, I'll give them a tough first half and then uh, Minnesota pulling away at home. So Minnesota 33, Arizona 23 is the way I see it. The Miami Dolphins, who got back on the winning track last Sunday night against the Steelers, granted in ugly fashion, dare I say, traveled to Detroit to take on the Lions. Even though the Lions may be uh, one and five right now, this is no gimme whatsoever for the Dolphins. But dare I say, I do not trust this Lions defense. I think Mike McDaniel is going to have a very good game plan. And I think Tua is going to be much better with the football this week than he was uh, last week in terms of uh, putting it in the right place where the defense cannot intercept it. I like the Dolphins, let's say 24 Lions, 20. Miami should blow them out here, but Miami's still trying to get on track there. They don't quite look like they're clicking at home and I'd, oh, my heart's calling for an upset, but I can't do it here. I, I just don't think there's an upset special here. Let's make it low scoring, close and ugly. Detroit's defense played so much better than I expected last week. So maybe they keep that going. And it's Miami 12, Detroit 9. And can you say ugly, low scoring field goal fest in Patriots against Jets this week? I think you can. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the Jets, uh, even though they trade for James Robinson, uh, you cannot expect him to do a lot on a short week's notice. And uh, without Brees on Elijah Barrett Tucker, it's going to be even more difficult for that offense, which has struggled these past couple of weeks. And uh, the Patriots, uh, it looks like uh, Mac Jones is going to be their starting quarterback, as he should be. But his confidence is still shot, and he's going to be facing a very, very tough New York Jets defense. Uh, this is one of those games, kind of like Panthers and Falcons. Just flip a coin. It could go either way. But the tie, once again, believe it or not, goes to the home team. I like the Jets in ugly fashion to go to 6-2. and two. Yeah, and, and this is a coin flip game for sure. It's going to come down to which team is able to establish the running game 
build off of that. And, you know, New England certainly wasn't able to get that running game on track last week. The Jets have, but no Elijah Vera Tucker, no Brees Hall. Um, that's a big drop off as well. So, yeah, I, I like the coin flip game here as well. Uh, let's give it to the Jets 16 to 15. Oh, that is ugly and low scoring indeed. And in the battle of the Keystone State, the 6 0 Eagles, the lone unbeaten team of the NFL host, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have quietly had two solid weeks of football one in a victory over the Bucs, one in a heartbreaking loss to the Dolphins. But Kenny Pickett, he is uh, improving every week. Uh, do not let those interceptions uh, discourage you about Kenny Pickett. He is looking almost every bit the part, and he will learn from those mistakes. And uh, the Eagles, uh, yes, they're coming off the bye, but uh, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, I just do not like that spread in this game. I think pick the Steelers to cover the spread all day long. Granted, I still think the Eagles pull off a win, but it's going to be far closer than many expect. Eagles 21, Steelers 17. Ooh, that is close. I, I would give Pittsburgh a chance like to keep it that close at home. Uh, going into Philly, coming off a bye week, I just don't see it. I think this is a big week for Jalen Hurts, and there's going to be some gaudy numbers put up there. Um, Pittsburgh, that defense might hold a little early in the game, but I think it's going to be a jailbreak by the end in Philadelphia, topping 30 points, let's say 34 to 19 over the Steelers. And moving on to what would have been the battle of the Lone Star State had the Titans remained uh, in Texas as the Oilers, <laughs> but they're not. So it's the old Texans against the new Texans. Dare I say the Titans <laughs> and the Texans in Houston. Uh, the Titans have uh, quickly put a stranglehold on the uh, AFC South, and I think they keep it that way. I think the Texans... Uh, uh, put up a fight for about uh, three or four quarters or so. But in the end, I think uh, Derrick Henry and that Titans running game uh, is what makes the difference in this game. Give me the Titans 23, Texans 16. Well, I, yeah, I haven't got my upset special yet here. So I have no reason to think Tennessee is going to lose. No logical reason. They're the best team in that division. But Houston's played really well the last couple of weeks. So Let's call this one the upset special. I've got it Houston 33, Tennessee 16, and how in the bold prediction. And it, the who wants to keep their job the most bold, Ron Rivera and the commanders travel to Indy to take on the Frank Reich-led Colts with Sam Ellinger now at quarterback. Oh, this is another one of those uh, coin flip games. Uh, but uh, given how the commanders have looked defensively these past several weeks and given uh, the inexperience they're playing in Sam Ellinger, I think that is the difference in this game. Give me the commanders in an ugly 17 to 13 kind of game. Yeah. I mean, Hey, the commanders have won two in a row. They're a hot team right now. And, and like you said, that defense is playing so well, you know, better than they 
uh, expected that defense to be against Philadelphia and Dallas. They really should have pulled out that game uh, against Tennessee and they beat the Bears and the Packers. So I think they're hot. I think they're rolling. I think Indianapolis just signaled to their team that uh, they don't care about this season. And I think the players are going to reflect that on the field as well. I'm going to say uh, Washington. Um, yeah, they're going to put up some points here on Indy. Let's make it 27 to six in the win over the Colts. And in a potential do or die game this early in the season, that might be a hyperbole, but I don't think it necessarily is hyperbole for either the 49ers or the Rams, the 49ers at three and four, the Rams coming off a bye at three and three, like whoever loses this game could very well point back to this game as the reason why they're on the outside looking in come playoff time. Doesn't it feel that way, Hal? Yeah, it does. I mean, let's face it, divisional record that matters in the NFL for tiebreakers. And these teams are all clumped together in the West right now. Rams, they look like, you know, a team that was all in for 2021 and is still picking up the pieces here in 2022. And San Francisco, you lost your quarterback. You were lucky you had a decent backup, but, you know, you got to integrate McCaffrey in there. For a team that's always been, hey, we can play anybody at running back, they paid a high price to go get one. So uh, that's going to have to pay dividends for them um, because just the draft capital alone, I mean, they've already punted on the draft next year. Let's look at it that way. My mm-hmm. gosh, you, they've got a couple compensation picks and that's about it right now. So, so yeah, so both teams, this is it. It's coming down to this week uh, to see who's going to take a huge step forward and who's going to take a huge step back in that division. And I think the team that's going to be taking that big step forward this Sunday is going to be the 49ers. Uh, Yes, uh, they gave up 44 points last week, but that was to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, one of the two best teams in the league. I think that defense gets back on track this week with another dominating performance over the struggling Rams offense. Uh, Nick Bosa uh, should have uh, no problem uh, frustrating Matthew Stafford uh, in that game. And uh, that's all there is to it. And plus with Trent Williams back on offense, the 49ers should definitely be able to uh, expose holes in that Rams run defense uh, more often. Give me the 49ers in this game by let's say 20 to 13. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, 49ers definitely should be able to take advantage of this, but, but yeah, heading into their bye week as well. Rams proud team coming out of their bye week as well. I think the Rams are going to, you know, extra week to game plan here um, as well for Sean McVay, always an advantage there. I think I'm going to take the Rams in this one. Uh, We'll make it a close one, but it's going to be Rams 24, San Francisco 21. And on Monday night, the battle of Ohio on Halloween night, as the Bengals travel to Cleveland to take on the Browns. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a close game at the end, but the way the Browns defense is playing, I just do not trust Joe Woods to stop Joe Burrow at this Bengals passing attack that has caught fire these past couple of weeks. I expect the Bengals to continue uh, their ways in the passing game for the past few weeks and put up a healthy number on the Browns. Give me Bengals 30, Browns 17. 
yeah, the, the Browns got to pull an upset here in uh, in the division. It was going to happen last week against the Ravens, and they just fell short. I don't see it. Uh, the, the tune changing in Cleveland right now. I hate to say, you know, a team with this much talent on both sides of the ball is going to come in and get its fifth loss in a row. But, man, trick or treat with Cincinnati. It was all treats last week. I think it's going to stay the same this week. Uh, I think it gets, I don't think Cincinnati's going to start quite like they did last week, but uh, fantastic finish. I see it in the future. Uh, definitely treats for Cincinnati, tricks for Cleveland. Let's make it 38 to 17 for the Bengals. And now let's make our bold predictions for week number eight. And I will go first here. The Packers, to start the fourth quarter, they'll be trailing 24 to 13 to the Bills in Buffalo. But in the final 10 minutes, Aaron Rodgers will engineer not one, but two touchdown drives of 70 or more yards. And how does that second one end? It ends on a 10-yard touchdown pass to Robert Tunyon at the gun to give the Packers a 26-24 win over Buffalo. Woo, that is bold, David. I like it indeed. Uh, I my bold prediction, well, hey, I, I call my upset special, and that is the Houston Texans. And how in the world do the Houston Texans put it to the Tennessee Titans? Come on. We know who we're talking about, the offense in Houston. Damian Pierce, our offensive rookie of the year by the end of the season. I'm calling it here. Uh, he's showing Derrick Henry that the future of the running back in the NFL is here now with him. Let's give him, say, 30 rushes, 100, eh, 150, eh, 200, eh, 250 yards on the ground against that stout Tennessee defense. Why not? Four trips to the end zone. There's the four touchdowns for Houston <laughs> in their 33-16 to 16 win. That's as bold as I can get this week. Ah, uh, that is bold indeed. And uh, spoiler alert, my fantasy team would absolutely love that if that even came remotely <laughs> true. And last but not least, it's challenge flags. Uh, and uh, what is your challenge flag for this weekend, Hal? Well, my, mine goes to the uh, senior statesman of the NFL. We talked about him earlier, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, if there was ever a time to pull a rabbit from a hat to get back on track, Show the doubters that they're whack. Show you're still all that. <laughs> this is the week. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, throwing down the gauntlet for you. Oh, I definitely love that challenge flag. And my challenge flag goes to the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens, for the love of God, you almost choked away another fourth quarter lead against an inferior Cleveland Browns team <laughs> last week at home. You were just fortunate the Browns are too bad to snatch uh, victory from the jaws of defeat. So for the love of God, just show up in the fourth quarter. Just Lamar Jackson, bring your magic to the fourth quarter. Ravens defense, just bring a big player to the fourth quarter. Just show up in the fourth quarter and do not give your fans another heart attack. That is my challenge flag for this week. And he is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen, a full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBet01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap week eight. 
preview week nine and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at DCROB59, as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at SportsCrutch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crutch with AK. For Hail Bet, this is David Cromwell. And as always, please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion. Please choose selflessness. Please choose empathy. And whatever your opinion on the state of our country is, please, and I mean please, do not forget to vote by November 8th. Our futures are collectively on the line and vote for the future you want. That is all I ask. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.